Hey everyone, welcome to The Orchard Podcast with Amy Hughes and Rachel Hughes. We hope this episode encourages and inspires you today. Well, good evening, everybody. Oh, you're tired. Let's do that again. Good evening. Um, It's really good to be with you, and um, I hope you've had an amazing day. Rachel, that's very kind of you to say such nice things. I didn't pay you or anything. It was really lovely. Um, That's so good. I I like to start with a story, but I didn't really have one, so I'm not going to start with that. But I did feel there was a word for somebody, and since we're in it now, we might as well just go for it. Um, When I was 18 years old, I I said to the Lord on my 18th birthday, I'm going to see how I can do without you for a while. And I said it because I met him at nine, um, and he was like that childhood friend who you grew up with who was getting embarrassing. You know, I was like, Lord, I don't want you to come drinking with me. It's weird. Lord, I don't want you to come with me when I'm, I don't want you to be here when I'm flirting with that guy because it's weird. You know what I mean? You're just getting in the way. Lord, I don't want you to be here when I'm doing things which aren't on the right side of legal. I need you to be somewhere else. Lord, I don't want you to be here. And so I had to break up with him, you know, because he was in my way. And, um, and so carried on. I wish I was exaggerating when I said this as well. It's just so basic of me. But um, I had to do without him. And then about six months in, I saw a sunset. I grew up in inner city London. I mean, it's completely gentrified now, and it's lovely. But, um, but it, I saw this sunset on the block where I grew up in, and I, and I saw the sunset, and, a lot, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know how long it took you to make that. I don't know whether it's seven days, whether each day represented something symbolic. I don't care. But you made that. And then I looked at the the tower block I grew up in and I thought, this is what humanity has done with the best of its wisdom. In a place where a lot of my friends had, a lot of us had suffered a great deal, even just living in the neighborhood we lived in. And I remember saying, I've backed the wrong horse. I've backed the wrong horse. I need to come home. And the, the irony is in that time when I was walking away from the Lord, I still went to church on Sundays because I wanted to be out of the house. I still was involved in things. I didn't say I was good at this stuff. I was still, um, I still sang all the songs. They were of a 90s persuasion. Um, um, I still sang all the songs and all of that, but I was gone. And I feel that there may be some of you here tonight who have recognized you've backed the wrong horse, sis. And that you know the songs. And, and, and there were reasons. There were reasons why I walked away. There are reasons why it's been so hard to walk, walk with him. But the Lord's like, it's all right. I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not here to condemn you. He's not even saying this to shame you. It's just because he sees you and he adores you and he's, and he's committed to you. And so he's inviting you, come home. No shame on you, no condemnation. That's a, that's a Satan thing. That's not a Jesus thing. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. But come home. Save yourself the time save yourself the money, save yourself the energy, come on. Right, that's not the talk, so let's do the rest, shall we? Let's do the rest. Um, and if that's you, we can, pro- well, when the ministry, you know what happens with the ministry stuff, people will pray with you then, it'll be fabulous. Um, okay, this is a really weird way to introduce myself. So was, my name is Joe. I'm a Londoner by birth and conviction. I'm also Nigerian because it's awesome. I know you're here. I know, we're here, we're always here. Um, I am. I've lived in the States for the past 20 years. I'm married to a guy called Chris. He's five years younger than me because why not? In the words, in the words, actually, 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 that's a, that's a thing you have to say with certain age groups because for some of you, it's not legal and that's why not. But for the rest of us, and why not? So 
In the words of Beyonce, I'm not sorry. I have two teenage girls. They're wonderful. That's amazing. Intro done. Right. And we're in. So, <laughs> Amy, this morning, Amy was leading us in terms of connecting with Jesus to remain in him. So profound, so powerful. And then... Um, Rachel this afternoon talked about pruning with purpose and God really getting to grips with us um, with a purpose, this whole thing about being in the vine and stuff. And this will tell you how amazing a speaker I am. I actually think my title's rubbish and I should have changed it um, now. It's not, it'll make sense in a minute. Because at the end of the verses that um, Rachel and Amy spoke from, they talked about, I'm only using three words from it really, where it talks about being the vine and the garden and him pruning so that you may be even more fruitful. And even more fruitful is what I want to talk on tonight. And that's not the title of this talk. I called it called to a fruitful life, but I should have called it designed for a fruitful life. Designed because when, the, when, the, when you're abiding in the vine and you're pruned back to get clean, in, the growth is inevitable. The fruit is inevitable. Grapes are going to come. It's going to take a while. It's a little painful of a process, but it's coming. In the same way, as we remain connected to Jesus, as we allow him to do the work he wants to do in us and in our hearts and in our relationships and in our minds, there is a transformation that is inevitable. I didn't say it's easy. I didn't say it's quick. But Jesus in the, is in the business of not just being a name that's a distant thing. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to transform your life. He wants people transformed through your life. We're designed for a fruitful life. And when we mean fruit, we do mean more than berries and grapes, lovely though they are. But a life which is effective, a life which has an impact, a life that makes a difference. That's what we're talking about when we mean fruitful Lives transformed, the kingdom of God at work. You see, every generation has to work out how they'll respond to the challenges and the opportunities of their day, all of us. And every generation throughout humanity has been designed with a twofold purpose, to know God intimately, but also to represent him in the world. To represent him in the world. And what Jesus does when he comes to earth is to, is to restore what the plan was all along. That God's people would know him well and represent him well, stay connected to him and then be fruitful all over in every place that um, they've been sent and every place they've been set. And so what I want to focus on <laughs> when I get my head together, what I want to focus on is some examples of what that fruitfulness looks like of some, some examples from women we see in the Bible of what it looked like them to walk with God and be effective for God and invite the question, what's God asking you to do? What, God, what is God inviting you into? Because he's still in the business of making things new. In the Bible, it says this in Ephesians, and this is the message translation. It says, it's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. If you want to know what you're about, your identity, it's given. If you want to know your purpose, it's given. It's in Christ you will find out who you are and what you're living for. Long before we had our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he's working out in everything and everyone. 
You see, this fruitfulness that Jesus is inviting us to is part of his overall purpose in relationship with him, in deep, meaningful connection with him. We'll find our actual identity, not the ones we've been given by the lies of the world, not the ones that have been shaped us by our past, but who we actually are. We'll find out what our purpose is, not just the expectations that come through grades and jobs and promotions, but what we're here on earth for. You'll find that in your relationship as you stay connected with him. Because we are designed to be walking, talking overflows of the kingdom of heaven. We've always been designed that way. And so I simply want to ask you, friends, I'll call us friends now, because, you know, this. Um, I simply want to ask you, are you hearing what God's called you here for? Do you know what his purpose is for your life? Do you know the life he wants to have for you? Part of the reason I walked away from the Lord when I was 18 was, well, like I said, he was getting in the way. Also, I was kind of bored, to be honest. I was kind of bored. I hadn't quite got a picture of the transformation God wanted to bring in the world. I hadn't got a picture of the ways he was inviting me to get involved in the renewal of all things. It was just about, it felt like it was just a behavior modification program and that I was failing. And so if I, I thought, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail well. I'm going to fail hard. And I needed to reset. So what I want to bring us to is the original picture where this fruitfulness came from and unpack that a bit for us. At the very beginning in the book of Genesis, when God makes humanity... We hear what his heart had in mind. And it says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them, and then God blessed them. Before I read on, I'm always touched by that, that God's first thing when he saw us was not to place expectations on us, was not to work out whether he'd approved of us, but blessing. I sometimes wonder whether we carry these expectations of trying to be perfect for Jesus. Whether we carry these expectations of whether we're too much for him or not enough. It's a horrible tension to be in, and neither of them work for us. But he starts with blessing. Anyway, that was a detour. Let me come back. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. He's given them this big picture of this beautiful world and says, I've given it to you, now get on with it. Lead, reign, rule to both men and women, we see here. But this thing about being made in his image is something I want us to just focus on for a little bit longer. The word in the Hebrew is, I can't pronounce it, and I wasn't there, it's ancient Hebrew. So, the word is salem, and it's, um, it means image or likeness, and that's not like a mirror image. But for the first hearers of, of those words, it was a powerful thing because back in, the, in that era, the only people who were seen as image bearers were royalty, were celebrities. They were the ones who were made in the image of a god in some way. But what we see in this story here, in this, in this creation narrative here, is God is saying, I'm making every man and woman in my image, in my likeness. The understanding of, of being an image bearer was that you reflected them, but you also represented them. It's not just that you're meant to be like him in a nice way, although that'll be lovely because social skills are great, but that you are also a representation of God on earth. 
that you reflect him. A fruitful life means that we reflect him and we also represent him. We be with him, but we do in his name as well. And in what areas? In our character, for example, that we reflect him. That as we stay connected to Jesus, as we keep our relationship with Jesus alive and honest and real, that we would expect some transformation in how we live our lives. In, in our character, that we'd love like him, that we'd maybe learn how to forgive the way he forgives. I find that one a little tense sometimes, to be honest, because I'm excellent at bitterness. Really good at it. It's like my reverse spiritual gift. If you needed some mentoring in it, I could really help you in it. But part of being in relationship with the Lord and him transforming our hearts and our lives is that he can even transform those areas. Maybe there's someone you hate, I mean struggle with, in some way. Maybe there's someone you don't like, I mean praying for to change them, or something. <laughs> is it just me? No. But being transformed by the vine whose life is coming into our life, reflecting the image bearer, the one who, in whose image we're made, means there's a transformation taking place. And I know forgiveness isn't cheap. And I know that it's costly. One of the biggest journeys for me in forgiveness was forgiving my dad who'd abandoned our family before I was born. And it was a 20-year journey. 20 years going there, sometimes walking back and thinking, nah, and then coming back again. And allowing the Lord to heal and restore and redeem and heal and restore and redeem. The Lord knows. I don't know your stories, but the Lord knows. Some of the things that you're struggling to forgive are a big deal. And that's why he died for them. Because they were so big a deal that he wanted you to be free. I don't know if it was Mandela who said, I think it was Mandela, but it was somebody who said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And some of us may be missing out on what God wants to do for our, in our lives and through our lives because in a bid to kind of tell us this thing mattered, we've held on to the grudges. In a bid to kind of hold some sense of confidence or something, we've held on. And the Lord's like, don't worry about whether you think it matters. I think it mattered. I think it, was so, it mattered so much that by my wounds, you can get healed. Will you allow him to take you on a journey of transformation? even if it's 20 years in the building, because the Lord is in the business of transforming you. As an image bearer, it's also in our relationships. Do our relationships reflect him in some way? If we are gonna be, remain in the vine, it's not just our character, it's our relationship too. It's also our skills. And I, and I wanna sit on this one for a little moment. I think sometimes we think our abilities, we made them up ourselves. Do you know what I mean? And then we feel bad about using them and am I being proud for using my gifts and am I being like, and we overthink it. Like God knows he gave you a brain and everything. He quite likes the way that you use it. He's given you these gifts and abilities and there we are hiding them and burying them and calling it humility. When actually God is not like, oh my goodness, I gave her a brain. Oh myself, she's great with numbers. God, that's a good one. Let that one ride in your minds. That was a good job. I'm just telling you. That was free. <laughs> God is not shocked with your gifts. God is not intimidated by your gifts. God does not think you're too strong. God does not think you're too feminine. God does not think all of these things. He shaped you and delighted to make you this way. Will you allow him to soar through your life? 
Will you unwrap every gift he's given you and represent him in the world? Yes, that way you have with numbers. Yes, that way you have with people. That way you're an amazing listener. Yes, those, those songs that you write, that art you create, that thing you have with business, made by the very hand of God. Not a problem, because God is not intimidated, and you, living into your gifting, does not make him feel insecure. He celebrates you. He doesn't tolerate you. He's excited about you. But will you own it? Will you live into it? Will you allow the fruit to come? Or will you hide it away? I sometimes compare this bit to Christmas. My girls... Um, when they were younger, they thought, all our family are all around the world, and the only way we can help them discover what gifts they need to give us for Christmas is to come up with some PowerPoints that our parents can email around, and we'll give them links in the PowerPoint so that people will be blessed enough to click that link and buy the gift. They started doing this about 10 years ago. It's really working for them, by the way. And then on Christmas Day, they, like everybody, unwrap the gifts. Imagine another scenario where the kids in your life, you bought them something that was really wonderful for them, something they'd always wanted, and instead of unwrapping the gift, they're like, I don't know if I'm good enough for that gift. Maybe it's a boy gift. Or is it a girl gift? Am I too young for that gift? Am I too old for that gift? Am I too single for that gift? Am I too married for that gift? Have I got kids so I can't have a gift? I don't have kids so I can't have... We'd be heartbroken if we saw that in the people in our lives. And yet I wonder how often we do it. The Heavenly Father has lavished gifts upon each and every one of us in this room. And I wonder whether we come to the proverbial Christmas tree and open it and think, am I good enough for this gift? Is this a boy gift? Am I too old for this gift? God is not ageist, by the way. Am I too young for this gift? Still not ageist, by the way. It's hard to be fruitful when you keep throwing the fruit away. <laughs> when you keep pushing it and saying, oh, go rot in a corner. I mean, humility <laughs> or something. God has more for us than that. God is interested in more for us than that. So image bearer impacts our character, our relationships, our skills, our purpose. We are not just to sit there gazing. We are called to a mighty purpose of the renewal of all things. Is there anything wrong in the world that you've noticed? Or is it per did our prayers for world peace already get completed? Because if they didn't, and if we are seeing darkness have fun at our people's expense, if we're seeing that our cities and our communities and people of every ethnicity and every, every socioeconomic group suffering, then it tells me that there's still jobs to be done and there's still work to be done. And the issue, as Jesus has always said, is the, the fields are ripe for harvest, but the workers are few. And that's not always about resistance. That's just about fear and insecurity and us wondering whether it could be us. But as we remain in Jesus, as we allow him to prune back the resistance, let his transformation flow in and through your heart, in and through your relationships, in and through your life. That's what he's in the business of doing. And I sometimes think well, part of the reason why we find it hard to believe it is because we may not feel we've seen it very much. I did some deep research one time, and when I say deep research, I mean I was on Instagram, and I... <clears throat> 
And on Instagram, I wrote a list of women who were in the Bible, just a few of them. And people would get into my DMs and they'd be like, were they real? Because I've never heard of them. And here's the thing, when you only hear about Mary, and don't get me wrong, Mary, awesome, wonderful. When you only hear about Mary at Christmas, you forget that God has been working in and through women's lives from time. God's been doing stuff from time with women who are single, with women who are married, with women who have kids, with women who don't, and those things weren't the things that defined them. His kingdom coming through them is what defined them. God has been moving from time. It's just like they're like the hidden figures of the Bible because we don't hear about them that often. Did you ever watch that film, Hidden Figures? It's awesome, wasn't it? I remember one of the actresses saying she was really angry when she heard about those women's stories. They were the women who were kind of behind the scenes in America's kind of rocket launches and stuff. And she said, it's not that I thought I would be a mathematician. I just didn't know this was part of our story. I didn't know what I could be because it's hard to be what you can't see. So let me make a couple of introductions to you for you before we land. This is just a few of them. Some of them you might have heard of. Some of them you might think I'm making up. I ain't making nothing up. They're real. Because <laughs> who's got time for that? No one. No one's got time for that. Let me name a few of them. Um, let me name a few because there's many more because I couldn't get them all on a slide. And also there's ones that we don't know the name of, but they were still awesome source with the Lord. My kids have told me I've got to stop saying awesome source because no one says it anymore. I do. So there. Anyway. <laughs> so I want to mention Hagar for a moment. I want to mention Hagar for a moment. She was an enslaved um, African woman who got caught up in someone else's story, someone else's brokenness. Um, and Abraham and Sarah, not their finest hour, and that's putting it really politely, um, not their finest hour. And as she escapes, um, the Lord meets her. And Hagar, this woman who is seen as a nobody and a nothing, is the one who says, you are the God who sees me. And she speaks a word that theologically has carried generations of people through. Songs have been written. She was more than property. She was more than useful. She had a voice. Remember the voice that we were speaking out? And I mentioned Hagar. I wasn't going to mention her, but I felt the Lord say that there are some of us who have been treated badly by God's people. And it's left us feeling used and abused. And the Lord wants you to heal, but he also wants you to know there is a purpose beyond the healing. There is a calling still on your life. And even though those leaders weren't great with you, God is not done with you. And God will not use you in the way that people have used you. So Hagar, there's Miriam. I mentioned, I'm not going to do one at a time because otherwise we're all night, loves. Can't. Just take a picture and look at them. And Miriam... Miriam, I like Miriam because we see her in different chapters of her life. We meet her in her teens when, when Pharaoh is killing all boys under two, she saves her brother's life. I think that's rather awesome. That she defies the powers that be. She defies what the enemy would do. She defies what the political systems would do. And she's involved in the rescue of her brother who happens to be a, a man who grows into a man named Moses. That's what she does in her teens. Later on, we see her leading God's people in worship. Later on, we find that she's a leader of all of these people. In different chapters of their life, God is using her in different ways. That's what fruitfulness looked like for her. There is Hulda. Oh, no, I mentioned Shearer. Oh, okay. oh there's so many to choose from. Okay, I'm going to mention Shearer, then I'll go back to Deborah. Shearer, you don't hear about her much. She's in one verse, First Chronicles 7.24. All we know about her is that she built three towns. But that's kind of awesome, because that's all God saw fit to mention. She built three towns. I'm like, result, 
Awesome sorts, wonderful. There's Deborah, who is a judge. She's a spiritual leader and a civic leader. These women had jobs, friends. They had jobs and God was moving. Her work brought peace for a generation. That's what we see when women are living in their fruitful lives. There is Joanna, Susanna, and Mary. We meet them in Luke chapter eight. And they have complicated lives. They've been so transformed by Jesus. They bankroll his mission. They are wealthy women. Joanna, I like to mention, not just because of my own name, and it's not a narcissism thing, it's just because I know a bit more about her. Um, she is married to a guy called Chusa, who is the manager in Herod's household. This is complicated money. Herod, Herod's not great in those passages. If you read around Herod and a story with John the Baptist, you know it doesn't end well. It's not good. But what we know about Joanna is that she takes that money and she has been transformed by Jesus and she pays for the mission. And Susanna pays for the mission. And Mary pays for the mission because God's on the move and they want to be part of what he's doing. They travel with Jesus. They're part of all the things. In the language in the Greek, it's the same word as the disciples. These women are awesome and they are fearless. And they will not be tamed by what society expects of them. They will live in to the fullness of what God has got for them. These are our ancestors these are our role models. Will we live into the fullness of what God has got for us? A couple more I will end with. Oh, I don't know who to pick, who to pick. Oh, did I miss the one? Oh, no, she's there. Lydia. Lydia is a businesswoman. She deals in purple cloth, high fashion. That's her vibe. She meets, she meets um, Paul and his friends by a river in Acts chapter 16. And when she is transformed, she invites them to come and stay at her home. In that time, the home was the business and the social center of the world. They plant a church there. That church is the, ch um, we see a letter to the Philippian church later on. And just so happens as Lydia opens the door, she opens a new area of ministry that Paul hasn't done yet. That area of ministry is called Europe. These are your forebears. These are the women who have been walking, talking, overflows of the kingdom of heaven. They are single, they are married, they are with children, they aren't, some don't have children, some we don't know. There are grandmothers and mothers, there are teenagers, there are poor women, they are every social economic group, they are every ethnicity, they are God's people and they are moving. They are on it for the kingdom of God. This is who we are. This is what it looks like. I'm, I'm glad that slide's still there, otherwise I'm just pointing at nothing. Uh, <laughs> this is what it looks like to walk with the Lord. For God to use, to meet you in your brokenness, to meet you in your wealth, to meet you in your poverty, to meet you in your, in your um, captivity, to meet you in your marriages, to meet you in your singleness, to meet you with your children or without, or to meet you in a mad mix of all of it. And the kingdom of God is coming and they played their part in the renewal of all things and many, many more of them. And so I land with this. I land with this. What's God inviting you to do? What's God inviting you to do? Because here's what it says, um, and Rach, I'm ready. Um, here's what it says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Note there are women involved there. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. God is calling us. The future is too important to be left to chance. 
What are the gifts you need to unwrap? What is the calling God has placed on your life? What is God saying about your careers, the businesses you need to plant, the songs you need to write, write, the churches you need to plant, the entrepreneurship, the nonprofits, the charities that God's inviting you to start? What's he calling you to? It is time to dream bigger. It is time to dream bigger for the transformation of the world in which we live. And we know it's not easy because this is Jesus, this isn't Disney. We know it's hard work. But are we called? I invite you to stand in your calling, unapologetic, unashamed. I invite you to not write yourself off because of your age. I invite you to not write yourself off because of your marital status. You've got status whether you're married or not. I invite you to not write yourself off because of fertility or infertility. That's in those women's stories as well. God's not done. All the reasons that you think you can't are nothing to God because he has the power to say, but I can. Are we ready to move? It's time to bear fruit. Stay connected to the Lord. Let him prune off the junk. Pick up your gifts and let's go. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on socials at The Orchard Women to find out more about everything coming up.